Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with us another Wednesday evening where we have the opportunity to reflect into the life and thought of one Pope Francis. And as it is Wednesday, I have Bob Cross with me. Bob, it is great to have you with me another evening. Awesome to be here, Joe. Thanks. So, uh, Bob, last week we uh, really hit it hard as it relates to Pope Francis and the news, and we promised to get back and enjoy the gospel. So we're going to follow through with that promise, but we will speak to where Pope Francis is in the news once again, because this is what the radio program is about, making sure that we are keeping tabs on on all things concerning Pope Francis to the best of our ability. Uh, Pope Francis uh, made it easy for us this week, I think, Bob, as he uh, spoke to some of the confusion out there. Interestingly, last week I was talking uh, about what he has said as it relates to uh, just not homosexuality, but also our Christian anthropology. And a couple of days ago, he was speaking to a colloquium on the family, a humanum conference, and he gave an address, <laughs> a very important address. And I think when people were done reading this, they were exhaling a little bit if they have been caught up in some of the secular press. An address, a conference that comes on the heels of a homily he gave on Saturday, Bob, where he was very, uh, very outspoken on all of the core hot-button issues as it relates to life, abortion, uh, euthanasia, in vitro fertilization. He condemned them all, and he was very strong in his words. It actually had some AP press folks and others spinning a little bit. And what was it, Bob? They actually called Pope Francis, and they were very upset, Catholic. They actually were disappointed and upset because they've come to see the man that we've been talking about for the past year and a half and trying to spell it out clearly that, yeah, the Pope is Catholic. That being said, I did want to speak to his words here a little bit, his words to this colloquium, this family colloquium. And this is uh, in the words of our Holy Father, Pope Francis. Dear brothers and sisters, I warmly greet you. I thank Cardinal Mueller for his words with which he introduced our meeting. I would like to begin by sharing with you a reflection on the title of your colloquium. You must admit that complementarity does not roll lightly off the tongue, yet it is a word into which many meanings are compressed. It refers to situations where one of two things adds to, completes, or fulfills a lack in the other. But complementarity is much more than that. Christians find its deepest meaning in the first letter to the Corinthians, where St. Paul tells us that the Spirit has endowed each of us with different gifts so that just as the human body's members work together for the good of the whole, everyone's gifts can work together for the benefit of each. That's 1 Corinthians 12. To reflect upon complementarity is nothing less than to ponder the dynamic harmonies at the heart of all creation. Hmm. It is fitting that you have gathered here in this international colloquium to explore the complementarity of man and woman. The complementarity is a root of marriage and family. 
For the family grounded in marriage is the first school where we learn to appreciate our our own and others' gifts and where we begin to acquire the, acquire the arts of cooperative living. For most of us, the family provides the principal place where we can aspire to greatness as we strive to realize our full capacity for virtue and charity. At the same time as we know, families give rise to tensions between egoism and altruism, reason and passion, immediate desires and long-range, long-range goals. But families also provide, provide frameworks for resolving such tensions. This is important. When we speak of complementarity between man and woman in this context, let us not confuse that term with the simplistic idea that all the roles and relations of the two sexes are fixed in a single static pattern. Complementarity will take many forms as each man and woman brings his or her distinctive contributions to their marriage and to the formation of their children. His or her personal richness, personal charisma, complementarity becomes a great wealth. It is not just a good thing, but it is also beautiful. We know that today marriage and the family are in crisis. We now live in a culture of the temporary, in which more and more people are simply giving up on marriage as a public commitment. This revolution in manners and morals has often flown the flag of freedom, but in fact, it has brought spiritual and material devastation to countless human beings, especially the poorest and most vulnerable. Evidence is mounting that the decline of the marriage culture is associated with increased poverty and a host of their other social skills or social ills disproportionately among women, children, and the elderly. It is always they who suffer the most in this crisis. It is necessary first to promote the fundamental pillars that govern a nation, its non-material goods. The family is the foundation of coexistence and a remedy, remedy against social fragmentation. Children have a right to grow up in a family with a father and a mother capable of creating a suitable environment for the child's development and emotional maturity. That is why I stressed in the apostolic exhortation joy of the gospel that the contribution of marriage to society is indispensable and that it transcends the feelings and momentary needs of the couple. And that is why I am grateful to you for your colloquium's emphasis on the benefits that marriage can provide to children, the spouses themselves, and to society. In these days, as you embark on a reflection on the beauty of complementarity between man and woman in marriage, I urge you to lift up yet another truth about marriage, that permanent commitment to solidarity, fidelity, and fruitful love responds to the deepest longings of the human heart. I urge you to bear in mind, especially the young people who represent our future. Commit yourselves so that your youth do not give themselves over to the poisonous environment of the temporary, but rather be revolutionaries with the courage to seek true and lasting love going against the common pattern. Do not fall into the trap of being swayed by political notion. Family is an anthropological fact, a socially and culturally related fact. We cannot qualify it based on ideological notions or concepts important only at one time in history. We can't think of conservative or progressive notions. Family is a family. It can't be qualified by ideological notions. Family is per se. It is strength per se. I pray that your colloquium will be an inspiration to all who seek to support 
and strengthen the union of man and woman in marriage as a unique, natural, fundamental, and beautiful good for persons, communities, and whole societies. I wish to confirm according to the wishes of the Lord that in September of 2015, I will go to Philadelphia for the World Meeting of Families. Thank you for your prayers, with which you accompany my service to the church. Bless you from my heart. Amen. Thanks for reading that, Bob. You know, it's interesting. I didn't really think about this in my first uh, reading of that, uh, that address, Bob, but that he, he took the time while he's talking about family to speak to when he's going to be coming to Philadelphia. So if you're hearing this for the first time, uh, rejoice, uh, because that is going to be a very significant trip for us here in the States to better understand this papacy. Uh, it is going to be set up in such a way where you know, Pope Francis will be able to speak to these matters that he just spoke to. Uh, a family is a family. Did we hear that? A truth is a truth. Anthropology is anthropology. We have said in the past, Bob, that uh, truth is not subject to time. We can say it in another way. Right from wrong does not evolve. And that is what he's saying there. In fact, he's saying it specifically. We cannot take something that is a truth and say, well, we have evolved now in history and present it as something other than an objective truth. No. Uh, complementarity speaks to just not the truth of who we are, but also, and I love how he put it, the beauty of what we are called to become. And it is in entering into this, uh, Bob, complementarity that we begin to discover the beauty of who God is calling us to be. But again, it's rooted in our anthropology. We are only going to discover the best version of ourselves to the degree, to the degree we see ourselves rooted uh, as male and female, and ultimately, at the same time, recognizing uh, those gifts, those attributes that God has entrusted us uh, with. It strikes me too, Bob, that this is an address on the family during a colloquium on the family. Well, of course, Joe, what's your point? Well, what have we said about the pontificate of Pope Francis? What people have been critical of is that he has not clarified on occasion when he could potentially clarify. But as we were saying last week, what he does is he speaks to an issue within the context of who he's speaking to or maybe uh, the reading of the day. And what it allows him to do is break it open more fully in a kind of catechetical way. See, he, he's catechizing on complementarity. He's just not speaking to male, female in our anthropology, he's speaking to the wider biblical vision of what complementarity is all about. And in doing so, Bob, what he allows us on the other side to uh, better appreciate is, yes, our complementarity is about male and female, but it's much more than that. And that's good catechesis. Sure. And, you know, it's, it's pretty evident to me and in reading this earlier today, that, you know, he, how many times he mentions man and woman in the context of mm. the family as he defines it. Because let's, let's remember again, the whole idea behind the synod and what he's called us to do in the, uh, for the greater purpose of new evangelization is to, let's look at the family at the very, very beginning. 
the, the, the essential cell of society. And as he's doing that, and it's almost as if, you know, he's responding to a lot of that rhetoric and a lot of the news coverage out mm-hmm. there. He mm-hmm. specifically mentions man and woman and their relationship to the family and their importance to the family. And also, as you mentioned earlier, how he comes right out and addresses the whole conservative and progressive yeah. labels that everybody is lining up behind. Yeah. Yeah. When we hear that word, someone came to me and said, Joe, can you explain progressive, conservative? I- <laughs> these are words that have been hijacked from their original meaning. Now, when we hear the word progressive, it's progress. And when we hear conservative, it's to conserve. But progressing in truth and conserving truth. If those two words, progressive and conservative, have strictly a political context, they're going to lose the essence of what they are. How many times have we talked about, you know, do we find ourselves as Catholics or Republicans, Catholics or Democrats. There's no question that as citizens within the United States of America, we are affiliated, we have these political affiliations, but do they drive our understanding of truth? Or does scripture and the deposit of faith drive our understanding of truth? Uh, This is one of the things that we're challenged with a great deal today, Bob. And uh, at the deepest levels, at the deepest levels, uh, what did Cardinal George just say? It's not about left and right, it's about right and wrong. Okay, and Pope Francis is saying the same thing. Yeah, and something else, Bob, you had talked about this man and woman and why this is an issue. Well, there was a report that came out post-Synod that there was a change in saying male and female, man and woman, to family, so as to not offend the homosexual community. Now, this was just a report. It was just a a projection, but the projection went so far by what some would qualify as a reliable source to say that Pope Francis is the one who intervened and say, don't put male and female, just put family. Well, here we have him talking about, again, the anthropology and the importance of it, male and female. And he's explicit. Uh, This is why we have to be careful to not lean too far into uh, what we think we know based upon a quote-unquote reliable source. This is why, and you and I have said this a great deal, We talk about joy of the gospel here on the program, and to some extent, we clarify some of the confusion as we ourselves are continuing to seek to understand uh, the wisdom of this papacy. Where should we go, Bob? Go to what he actually says. Go to the Vatican website, and you can pull up every homily, every address, every letter he's ever written. This papacy, as the past few papacies have been, they are completely transparent, in so far as you have access to everything they say and do. I mean, there is not an unrecorded thought or word here, Bob. And again, my challenge is there, Bob, to, to make sure that we are not forming our opinions on this man based upon just not what the secular press is saying, but also but also, uh, what a quote-unquote reliable source is saying. Uh, because what we have quickly discovered is the most reliable source is what he actually says what he actually says. Okay, did I just use the word challenge? Because this might be my segue for <laughs> our segue for the joy of the gospel, lest we lose our time and not get to it again. All right, so we're finishing up chapter two, and what was this whole last subsection about in chapter two? We have been working through a list of all of these challenges uh, to evangelization, challenges to the missionary effort and in That last paragraph, it wraps up as follows. Paragraph 109. Challenges exist to be overcome. 
Let us be realists, but without losing our joy, our boldness, and our hope-filled commitment. Let us not allow ourselves to be robbed of missionary vigor. Mm. So, the challenge, again, provocatio, to call forth, to call out. A challenge exists to be overcome. A challenge exists, Bob, for you and I and all of our listeners out there, wherever you may be, so that we might become a stronger Christian. We are only good Christians to the degree that we embrace the challenge, to the degree that we embrace the way in which God is calling us out to grow and to mature in his life and his love. And what we understand in this truth If it is about growth in Christianity, the acceptance of some suffering, the acceptance of the need to sacrifice is the only way to overcome that. And therefore, this is why uh, the challenge in of itself is so important to our call to holiness. Remember, sacrifice, secum fitze, to make holy, right? If we are going to accept the challenges that come our way, we will be making sacrifices and in doing so, um, we will be coming more holy in the process. Let this not be something that uh, pull us away from this missionary zeal that God is calling us. No, the challenges before us, Bob, are there to draw us deeper into the mystery of faith. And in doing so, it should invigorate and convict us all the more to evangelize for the sake of Christ. Uh, we spoke to it a bit last week. I think one of the things that has happened as it relates to Pope Francis is there's been so much discussion on what we think we know. And maybe he may have or have not done things that uh, have surprised you. But have you allowed that to sap your energy, your vigor, your glow of fervor, that you are no longer evangelizing, that you are no longer being the person that God is calling you to be? Maybe, maybe not. This is a challenge that we need to look at, right? This is part of the challenge. We are never going to stop growing. There's always going to be, Bob, a gap between the person we are and between the person we ought to be. And the way we bridge that gap between who we are today and who we're going to be tomorrow is by accepting the challenge that God gives us today, this moment. Um, And in doing so, realize that uh, God has given you something and it's a gift. And the more you share that gift, the more you have and the more joy will just overflow. I think that, um, you know, it's pretty obvious just from the title of this exhortation, the joy of the gospel, that there's a common thread um, to deal with many challenges that Pope Francis draws out throughout this whole document. Um, there's some common words um, along with joy. There's vigor. There's um, um, a sense of emotional commitment that he in, integrates into all of his writing because he wants us really truly to, to be on fire for God. I mean, you can, you can, you can hear that, you can read that in, uh, in just about every single paragraph. You know, he draws out the realities of our world and the many challenges that we're faced with the new evangelization and with our uh, truly living our, our Catholic faith. He's, he's all about, you know, bringing you back down and just saying it, it really starts with, with, you know, the person a culpa, being mm-hmm. excited, being having that vigor, that enthusiasm for the faith. Um, and that's, you know, that speaks well to a lot of young people and, and it speaks well to all of us. If we can, if we could be excited and not get caught up in all the stuff, 
mm-hmm. you know, that we're, we're seemingly always having to deal with. And we've been dealing with it the last few weeks with <laughs> our Holy Father, with Pope Francis, and with the Synod and everything else. And we've talked about it in previous programs that it's just, uh, again, it's another way to de- derail our enthusiasm, our vigor, so to speak. And that happens at so many different levels, mm-hmm. and even at the level of the church itself. So yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting that, you know, that we're dealing with the challenges in this portion of the document. Sure. And well said, Bob. One of the things that strikes me as you're talking is the question that we have to ask ourselves. How much can I control this situation or that situation? Ultimately, what can I control? Well, what we can control, Bob, is is uh, how we wake up in the morning, how we go about our day, how we as individuals, you, know, you me, and, and every person out there listening, as, as individuals can impact the, re- the relationships that God calls us into. And if we are allowing other things that we cannot control to affect us to a point where, yes, it derails us, then we have a problem. But that's the challenge. The challenge is to not allow that to affect us. Come to seek to understand it. Yes, that's fine, and that's what we do here on the radio program. That's fine. That's fair game. But vocationally speaking, if there's something that Pope Francis says that, that takes you off that rail, then you have to ask yourself the question, why? Is it something he said, or is it my disposition towards the church, towards the faith, towards understanding Scripture? What can we do about it? And certainly... Uh, there's a lot we can do about it. And it starts with waking up in the morning and, and embracing our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Waking up in the morning and understanding that you want to know what? God is going to give me a lot of things to do today. And I need to embrace those in that spiritual fruit of joy. That fruit that comes out from a living relationship with Jesus Christ that you spoke to. Fervor, joy, enthusiasm, vigor, ardor, uh, all of these words essentially speak to that being on fire for God. And when you talk about the fire of God, you're talking about the love of God. When you talk about the love of God, you talk about that life-giving force that cannot be contained, that simply cannot be contained. But we allow it to be contained when we are diverted. That's the problem. So we have this challenge as faithful Christians and Catholics, Bob, to not only embrace our faith, to allow the gospel to permeate every aspect of what we do, but at the same time and at once to proclaim it. And so this is where chapter 3 starts, the proclamation of the gospel. And so Pope Francis says this, after having considered some of the challenges of the present, I would now like to speak of the task which bears upon us in every age and place. For there can be no true evangelization without the explicit proclamation of Jesus as Lord. You know, Lord, the, the um, curial, that's a word that means to be dominated by someone. Well, what do you mean? I don't want to be dominated by, some, by someone. No, Jesus is a king. This Sunday is Feast of Christ the King, Bob. Uh, he, he holds a dominion. And when we are baptized, we are incorporated into this kingdom that belongs to God. And we share in his headship. We share in his dominion. Uh, And he oversees every aspect of what we do. When we receive the grace, Bob, and the power of the Holy Spirit, 
what we receive is the actual ability. And this is most striking when you think about it. The gift that God gives us. The ability to actually share in the master's qualities. If you were to go into the parable of the talents, our Lord is talking about an ability. The Greek translation is dynamua, dynamis. It's the power of God that is given to us in baptism and at the same time, a conference of grace that allows us to actually share in the master's qualities. That's the definition in, in antiquity. What does that mean? The gift he is given to us in baptism that is sustained and nourished in sacramental life is an actual sharing in the master's qualities. And why did he come here on earth? Well, what have we said before? The church exists for evangelization. She exists to catechize. And so we must be explicit in our proclamation that Jesus is Lord. Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. God saves us from what? Sin. That's the good news right there. God saves us from our sin. And when we receive that grace and baptism, we have reason to proclaim the good news. We are no longer bound by slavery. I think we've lost sense of this, Bob. If we were actually enslaved for a long period of time, like that of the Jews in the Old Testament, when we were freed, we would be celebrating. We would be rejoicing for days on end. But because it's a spiritual reality, we have, I think, forgotten what it means to be truly free. But the deeper you go in your faith and you live in this grace of joy, the more you realize what this freedom is all about. And so we have this call we have this dare to be a disciple, to accept the challenge. Not only those challenges that God gives us in our life to embrace our sonship, but at the same time, that call we have to go forth and to proclaim the good news. And that good news is that Jesus has saved us from our sin, and it's worth rejoicing. These first two paragraphs are, are really, really wonderfully written in terms of just what you described, you know, that... What are about evangelization is, it's um, it's it's who we are, it's what we're supposed to be, and as you said, as we are saved through our through our relationship through our Lord Jesus Christ, that good news is who we are and what we need to, to proclaim in everything that we do. Amen. And we're just scratching the surface with this. This is the opening paragraph to, to chapter three. We're only, we really are only scratching the surface. It's not even a brush stroke. We, we've, we've just pulled out the paintbrush here, Bob. <laughs> we're getting out some of the paint. Uh, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this chapter. Having gone through this chapter already, we're going to have a lot of fun with this chapter because really, in so many ways, this is what lies at the heart of the new evangelization. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and never shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you.
Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.